better than this? Guys, me and dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino, Kyle Krabs, and Chris Schubert from the Draft Network. And we are your hosts here on this Tuesday episode of the show. Today's podcast is brought to you by rockauto.com. They have amazing mm. selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Mm. Kyle, Kyle, the streak Amen. is up to two. I've been here two days in a row. Wow. Wow. Congratulations. Uh, I have something very briefly off topic to open today's show with, if you guys would humor me for just a moment. Sure. There was, it's from sportshandle.com, and it is a poll that was, which NFL drink fans drink the most? <laughs> okay. Where do you think your respective teams came in on this list? The Bills have got to be in the top three, right? The Buffalo Bills are third with an average of four and a half drinks per game at an average spend of $52.85 per game oh, on drinks. Green Bay, number one? It is not. Green Bay is 15th. Oh. Who's one? The Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> 5.2 okay. drinks per game, according to this poll. I have a fun fact for you. I never drink during Bills games. I've that, never had a drink during a Bills game in imagine, my entire life. It's never imagine, happened. you miserable prick. It's I cannot happened. imagine. Never happened. Could Chris, be me. the Jets. Yeah, I, I was going to say top 10, but I'll go more aggressive. They're top five. Uh, no. You're not even in the top half of the league, according to this poll. Well, I, this poll doesn't exist in my mind. That's how I feel as well. Uh, you're 17th with 3.7 drinks per game. Where do you guys think like the Philadelphia Eagles are on this list? Oh, two. They're two. They're not. Are Four. they in the top 10? No, they're not, which makes me think this poll is, is just kind of mm. fake news. But yeah, no, I, yeah, I'm out on this poll. Uh, yeah, about this poll. 26th for Philadelphia, one spot ahead of the Miami Dolphins, which I alone am bringing. I'm bringing like four people's worth of drinks. <laughs> Who's 32? Who's the least uh, drinking fan base? San Francisco, which I can kind of see. All right. I don't, I don't really think I don't I don't hear I don't hear the city San Francisco and think of like parties or anything no, I, like that. You know, they're. The West Coast vibe out there. Chris, you, you had a thought there. Well, no, I, it's just like, you know, the West Coast has got some good breweries and some good there's good beer scenes. I'm, not, I, I'm a little surprised. Like, to me, the, the, a team that would, should finish at the bottom of this list should be a team that, like, one, their fan base doesn't stress during the game because a lot of people just drink when they're stressed about watching their team play football. So Patriot, I figured the team. Patriots I, are 30th. Okay, so that 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 would have made more sense. Like the Patriots being 32 makes more sense in my mind because there's no stress. You just hang out. You just have a nice beer or two during the game. Oh, you know your team's going to win. You know your team's going to go to the Super Bowl. It's pretty simple, and you just move <laughs> on with life. Right. The top five are Cincinnati, Baltimore, Buffalo, Chicago, and Carolina. Carolina. Now, Carolina. see, Chicago makes sense. Chicago makes total sense when we use my perspective on this. Yes, I agree. The reason Carolina's on there is because it's a wine and cheese crowd. People are just having the red wine and cheese watching football games. 
you can hit down a up. couple couple more of those, right? It's not not as hard yeah. on your stomach as the beer is. So that makes sense. <laughs> All right. So we are going to talk about other things today on the podcast, uh, but mostly um, mock drafts, like Kyle said yes. at the end of yesterday's show. Yes. Kyle's 1.0 is out. My 1.0 came out last week. And so we both went through this process of assembling and crafting our initial mock drafts for the 2022 NFL draft. And so we want to talk about some of that process and what went into some of the picks and just, just kind of share what went into making these things. And so we're going to take it, I guess, kind of a chunk of picks at a time and Mm -hmm. have a good conversation today about where we fell. Sure. And the Super Bowl betting odds by our friends at Bet Online are how we are determining what the Super Bowl odds are, but there is a little bit of leeway for you, for you to get mad at us because if teams finished with the same odds, Joe and I both had the jurisdiction on determining what order those picks fell. So, uh, Joe, you want to start like top five and just kind of, you know, it's kind of the cream of the crop. It's the, the best players in the draft for the most part. Uh, I look at the the players that I assigned, and they were all top 10 players on my personal board, which we're going to start introducing that this month as well. Uh, So your order, was it Houston, New York Jets, Detroit Lions, Jacksonville Jaguars, Cincinnati Bengals in some order, I believe? It was that exact same order. Oh, beautiful. We we have them picking the exact same players. Okay. Well, this should be a fun conversation then. So we had quarterback Spencer Rattler going to Houston in both mocks. And I try, I tried to avoid your mock when I was writing this for the record. So I think that that, that kind of <laughs> makes it more fun that it came out exactly the same. Uh, the New York Jets taking cornerback Derek Stingley Jr. out of LSU. The Detroit Lions taking Oregon defensive end Kayvon Thibodeau. The Jacksonville Jaguars drafting Kyle Hamilton safety out of Notre Dame. And then the Cincinnati Bengals drafting offensive, let's just call him offensive lineman, Evan Neal. So, the number one pick felt very cut and dry to me. Number two ver- felt very cut and dry to me. I, I want to stop you there. I want to stop you there because, Kyle, I wanted to pick a different player for Houston. I didn't want to give them Spencer Rattler. I wanted to be courageous enough to give them Stingley or Thibodeau. But I couldn't I couldn't do it. And it's not because I love Rattler. I just feel like the likelihood of their of the first pick being a quarterback was too high for me to go against the grain. Well, and and so I, also, I think go ahead. I would say Spencer Rattler is just a quarterback that I see most likely to earn that spot. Yeah, I mean Spencer Rattler was the lowest rated player on my personal board that went in the top five picks. I have him ninth mm-hmm. overall on my personal board. Same. Um, but if you're going to transition away from Deshaun Watson, and you have that caliber of a quarterback. For me, if you have this pick and you have a guy who has all the arm talent in the world like a Spencer Rattler does, there was no way you're going to go any other direction. Uh, that, that's such a hard sell for me that you're going to go away from Watson. And obviously his off-the-field issues are much more important than playing football right now, right? And figuring out what the answers are there. But from all intents and purposes, it seems as though he's done playing football in Houston regardless. So that... What makes me want to go back to 2017, where the new the Cleveland Browns are the number one pick. They selected Miles Garrett, and then the next pick was Mitchell Trubisky, and then ten is Mahomes, eleven is Watson. It sure. I don't th- look. 
the reality is, Kyle, for as much as we <laughs> as much as we know about Mahomes and Watson now is is elite quarterbacks in the NFL. They weren't elite prospects. They just weren't. They went 10 and 11, right? Like if they were elite prospects, they'd go one. Right. Or two. And a redraft in a, in a redraft, they'd go in the top three. Right. So that's what makes me think about this. Cleveland needed a quarterback then, but they went well, with Miles Garrett because there wasn't a, a true elite quarterback prospect so, in 17. So my follow-up question is twofold. Do you value Kayvon Thibodeau or Derek Stingley to the same degree that you valued Miles Garrett as a prospect coming out in 2017? And that's part, part one of a two-part question. Yeah. You do. No, I no, I, yeah, I was saying yes and understanding your question. That's where I get hung up because mm-hmm. maybe Stingley right now, maybe. And Thibodeau, if he, if he takes the step, I think he can. Yeah, we can have that conversation, but right now I'm not there. And so the easy thing to do is give him the quarterback. My other part of this question is what happened to the guy in Cleveland who had the courage to not make that <laughs> Folks. He's part and of the. That, uh, that's the way the world fired goes. Fired executives of America. <laughs> that's the right. Gruden was the fired foot fired football right. coaches of America Association. We need something like that for the front office. He's in the <laughs> Sashi Brown's in the same club with Sam Hinkie in the Philadelphia 76ers In that, you no, know, we're going to be really patient with our process, and then our ownership is going to run out of patience when the product doesn't turn around quickly enough, and somebody else is going to reap all the benefits of me doing things the quote unquote right way, because I'm not ready to draft a quarterback. And I don't know about you, but I don't trust Cal McNair to have that kind of patience. If, if I'm <laughs> Nick, Nick Casario, who left the cush job I had in new England for forever to come to Houston and join a dumpster fire. I can't punt on it. I can't, I can't possibly wrap my head around it. So that's why for me, it was a no brainer top quarterback available, uh, which in my eyes is Spencer Rattlers and apparently yours as well. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and the UFC. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit in the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get in the game. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use our promo code locked on. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Any other thought like what how did you feel about Evan Neal? Didn't to, like it to, at all. Okay, and so I that makes me feel a little bit better and and he was the easy quote unquote easy name to place here. But mm-hmm. our our scouting group in general, you know, with, with Jordan Reed and Dre Harris and Brentley Weissman and Keith Sanchez and you and me We've had a lot of conversations about Evan Neal specifically, and he's going to be transitioning to left tackle this year. He's played guard and tackle, uh, but his he's not a finished product right now. But I just couldn't fathom you know, hearing the reports out of Cincinnati right now uh, about Joe Burrow and his confidence and the status mm-hmm. of the line and seeing some clips from from training mm-hmm. camp where it looks like Michael Jordan's getting given up a lot of pressure and. I couldn't couldn't wrap my head around any other option other than an offensive lineman. And I don't think Evan Neal's a slam dunk, so it hurt to make that pick at five a little bit. But your other options here 
there's better depth in the bottom of the first round and the early second round, in my opinion, as far as value in offensive line prospects than what you're getting here at the top of the draft. I think here's the reality, Kyle, is so much of this is projection-based because I'm not sure what players do you have mocked high in this draft have actually earned that, that right now, right now they're worthy of that pick. Where if they opted out, if it was the same dynamics of last year, they opted out of the season, and this is all the football they're ever going to play. This is the resume. They deserve to be picking this range. Stingley, Thibodeau, Kyle Hamilton, period. That's it. Brother, I thought about it, and I think it's Stingley and Hamilton. I don't think Thibodeau's shown that yet. That Like, top three. We both have them top three. Yep. Like, as a pass rusher, he's not there yet. I think he could be, but it is still a projection in my mind. And I think that's the big difference where how many guys that opted out of last year <laughs> still got drafted top half of the first round? A lot. A lot. So, and, and that doesn't even include Trey Lance, who played one game. I mean, I'm, I, dude, I'm looking at my – like we're going to get into the next five picks here, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Well, brutal. It was brutal to try Kyle, and find good value in those spots. Brother, I've got Andrew Booth. He's played 400 snaps and, and started two games going six corner from Clemson. I got Drake Jackson going seven, who has a lot to prove still. You know what I mean? Like, well, that's for, for the listeners. Why don't you give me your, your list of the next five? So go six through 10 on team and pick, and then I'll do the same. And we'll go from there. Six Eagles, cornerback, Andrew Booth, Clemson, seven giants, edge, Drake Jackson, USC, eight Raiders, uh, interior defensive lineman DeMarvin Leal, Texas A&M, Carolina Panthers, offensive tackle Jackson Kirkland, Washington, and at 10, I have the Atlanta Falcons picking quarterback Sam Howell from North Carolina. Okay, so I went uh, Philadelphia Eagles at six for me, and I gave them Jackson Kirkland, the offensive tackle from Washington. Uh, seven, the Raiders for me, I also gave them DeMarvin Leal, so we had some overlap there. Uh, at eight, I had the Atlanta Falcons drafting cornerback Trent McDuffie from Washington. Uh, At nine, Carolina quarterback Matt Corral out of Ole Miss. And then the Giants at 10, you had him at seven, but we gave him the same player, defensive end, edge rusher, Drake Jackson. Okay, so this is really fun. Let's get into – oh, man, I want to ask you about (laughs) a lot of things. Yeah. But I want to start with Trent McDuffie at, yep. at uh, eight to Atlanta corner, yep. Washington. I mean, I think I took a swing putting Andrew Booth this high. Mm-hmm. Pretty big swing for you here with McDuffie. Um, I don't hate it. I think he's a great player. But, like, what made you go this direction? I mean, especially because Atlanta is a quarterback spot in my mind. And, and Corral, you have him going nine to Carolina. Mm-hmm. So, so, like... For me, if I'm Atlanta and I still have Matt Ryan and I don't have to force this pick, this is where your mentality for Houston is where it comes into play for me with Atlanta. I still have Matt Ryan. He's aging, but he hasn't dropped off. He's he's still a quality starting quarterback and a top 15 starting quarterback in the NFL. He's under contract. There's no reason to think he's going to go up in smoke and disappear or fall completely off the face of the earth, right? So if I have a little bit of runway here, and this is why their decision to draft Kyle Pitts this year has kind of told me what this 
mentality of this team under Arthur Smith is going to look like. They think they can win sooner rather than later. But you can't win with the defense that you got in Atlanta right now with any level of consistency when you're in a division with all the weapons that the Carolina Panthers have and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New Orleans Saints, assuming Michael Thomas gets healthy and and gets his situation figured out. And and you know Sean Payton's going to have them at least scoring points. You need defensive players. And for me, now that Dan Quinn's out of the building and we're out of that Seattle tight archetype of building a secondary, it's like, okay, what corner do I just feel like is going to come in and play good football? And that, for me, was Trent McDuffie. You know, he, he's 5'11", 195, so he's, he's not 6'2", and long, but he's a guy who can play off. He's a guy who can play in space. He's a guy who's played in the slot, so he can match personnel and follow guys around. Is a little bit of a projection that he's going to be consistent and effective playing on the perimeter? Yes, but his tape, his overall nose for the football, even though his ball production hasn't been particularly good, you you watch him play and you you see he's got a dog in him as a tackler. I'm a sucker for those quick feet kind of guys. And I just, I didn't want to draft another big guy just because he was big to play him on the outside. Denzel Ward can be the fifth pick. Right. Trent McDuffie could be the eighth pick. Right. And, and and the law of averages says or or the general consensus is those guys do tumble a little bit. But yeah. and I'm not comping Trent McDuffie to Denzel Ward. But as you no. said, if that guy with that stature can go that early, if Trent McDuffie plays to his potential, I think top half of the first round is reasonable. But that kind of goes back into I really struggle with outside probably the top four picks finding good value <laughs> for a lot of these picks in the top 15. I want to ask you another question. Um, you have Matt Corral as the second quarterback off the board going number nine to Carolina. We'll get to your next quarterback in our next segment, but what about Corral and Carolina did you like enough to make this pair in your initial mock draft? Well, you know, if Carolina's picking nine, that means Sam Darnold didn't go over particularly well, which which means perhaps Joe Brady – has some more longevity, and I think about playing empty and playing with tempo, and I think about Matt Corral and Lane Kiffin's offense and how they spread the field and play fast. And It's not like – it would be different if Sam Howell had top-flight physical tools, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think he does, and I think Matt Corral's a better athlete. So I think about the weaponry that's in place in Carolina that's there to throw to, and I think Corral is the guy who can make the uh, Zach Wilson-type leap in this year's class. And I know that's a pretty popular opinion amongst a lot of people who follow the draft. So I'm projecting a leap for him. But I also think about Dave Tepper and his presence in Carolina and, and what you anticipate his appetite for getting quarterback right is going to be and, and wanting a big play, explosive offense with a lot of points. And I don't know. I look at Sam Howell, who you know you gave to Atlanta, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it makes sense. And Howell is better regarded right now as a prospect. But I think about you. You talk a lot about Howell in Carolina and binary reads, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that transition is going to be viewed very favorably. So I'm kind of projecting the leap for Corral 
trying to correlate the parallels between how Lane Kiffin plays offense and how Joe Brady would probably like to play offense if he got his right quarterback in place. And Corral, for me, just made more sense. So both of them on the board, I, I opted to go with a little bit of an upset, projecting the, the big leap guy to go number two QB for me. Yeah, look, I have them separated by two picks on the board, so I, I it's close. I think for me, I just really like the idea of Howell with Arthur Smith in Atlanta and just the the deep – I know that he wants to throw the ball deep, right? That accuracy down the field is something that Howell has, and I think that he would benefit a lot in a play-action heavy scheme where there's a good amount of shots down the field, but there's a lot reliant on yards after the catch. And so I felt like that marriage was something that probably convinced me more than anything. Mm-hmm to put Howell above Corral, but you know, when you're making mock drafts, you have the Liberty to finesse some things. If the order order was different, I might have had it differently. So connect, connect the dots as you please. Right. Before we move on to the next group, I do want to ask you uh, if you feel the same way that I do, that Leal and Jackson were the easiest picks to make in this bunch. Well, I, I do. uh, And I think it's um, the, the proof is in that you and I both, did it right like we both mm-hmm. came to that same conclusion and it, it feels a little weird like the Raiders going going defense for the Raiders isn't hard I mean a statistic that everyone needs to know about the Raiders is that in every season since 2003 the Raiders have finished in the bottom half of the NFL when it comes to scoring defense they haven't finished higher than 20th since 2007 so defense 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 for the Raiders and I think Leal as a interior presence for them would be massive, right? Drake Jackson, when you think about this Giants team, it's not the same, right? Like defensively, that's the strength of their team. They're very good on defense. Yep. They need help on offense, but to me, the value proposition and and getting another young edge to go with Aziz Ojolari and have this really nice pair to go with what you have on that defensive line was something that I couldn't pass up. And then also you're keeping in mind that the Giants have that second first round pick. Right. And so that's your opportunity to maybe get a better value pick for an offensive lineman. So you mentioned Ozilari in, in New York, and obviously the medicals were a large part of the reason why he fell into the second round. But I look at Ozilari's skill set and compare it to Drake Jackson's, and I see a lot of parallels. And maybe this is just me. I would ask you this. What do you think Aziz Ojolari does better than Drake Jackson right now? Stops the run by a million. Okay. How about as a pass rusher? Because when you, when you have Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams and B.J. Hill and all these horses up front on this Giants front, I need to be able to get after the passer. Yeah. And I, I like- think Drake Jackson's comfortably a better pass rusher right now than Aziz Ojolari. And I appreciate how he wins, where it's a lot of quickness, flexibility, burst. Like he has a bit more of a finesse component to his game. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. Where Ojolari, I think, is just a little bit more of a technician and a little bit more powerful and more dense with how he's built. And so the way that they get home is very different. And I like that. I like, you know, we always talk about having different skill sets in a wide receiver room or a running back room. I don't hate that in the pass rushing room either especially off the edge and when you're a, a hybrid multiple type front like the Giants like to run where you see a good mix of even even and odd fronts 
having different skill sets to unleash through gaps, I'm for it. Yep. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto, a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions like, is your Odyssey an LX or an EX? And wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and right in your pocket. Save time and save money when using rockauto.com. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store yeah, or dumb. car? It's dumb. Dealership. Don't do it. Don't do Go it. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Make sure that you write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. They have amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need over at rockauto.com. This right. is the segment Chris Schubert has been dreading. Yep, six. Six spots. There's six picks to cover in this segment because you know 16, not divisible in by, by three. Yeah, yep. and you know, with three-segment podcast, Shuby was trying to do this thing where we did sets of four, but... Would have been a disaster. A, you, you think a complete, total disaster. You would think the producer of the show would know that it's not a four-segment podcast. <laughs> <laughs> He's so mad. He's so... All right, so you mentioned... <laughs> he, he didn't take the bait, so we're going to move on. Um. You mentioned New York having a second pick. That second pick is in here. And is it 11 for you? Uh, because the, is, num- yeah. the numbers add up where it was the only one at 5,000, uh, the Bears at 5,000, uh, plus 5,000 on the, the bet online Super Bowl odds, uh, where they had to fall into this spot. Uh, yep, so I have I, them at 11. So who did you give them there? Kenyon Green, okay. offensive lineman, Texas A&M. And I gave them offensive lineman Darian Kennard from Kentucky. So we both went offensive line. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's potential need inside or out, depending on how the development of Matt Pert. I don't think they're going to move off Andrew Thomas that quickly, but oh, Matt Matt yeah. Pert was a mid round pick, right? And, and while he was very toolsy and he showed some bright flashes, I, I kind of made the the selection of Kennard, hoping for positional flexibility to be able to put him wherever to get your combination of the best five. And we both took guys that are big and powerful and win at the point of attack, mm-hmm. more push, make the, make the reads at the line of scrimmage more simple for, for Saquon Barkley, right? But did you like the value? I know you didn't like the value of Kenyon Green at 11. I did no. not like the value of Darian Kennard at 11 either, but that was why I could at least sell myself on he can play tackle if he wins that job. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, what helped me with that, Kyle, is I don't think Dave Gettleman cares about the positional value. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> so, so it made that an easier pill for me to swallow. But, I mean, Will Hernandez is in a contract year. They didn't really replace Kevin Zeitler. Um, so we've, we saw some camp reports today that the interior of this offensive line for the Giants is, is of concern. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it's uh, – it's not a hard problem to solve, but it's one that they do have to solve and something that stands out to me. And 
I had to go O line with at least one of the picks for the Giants. Yeah, same same for me. And uh, what how I another hoop that I leapt through here was Kennard reminds me a little bit of Robert Hunt, who has gone through the transition this offseason after being the 39th overall pick for Miami in 2020. He played right tackle his rookie year. Well, now he's inside at right guard. And I, I think about Kennard's strengths and weaknesses, and I think he can project well at right guard if you want to play him there. Uh, but you get a little bit more versatility. So we, we both took Giants offensive linemen at 11, and I, I think Chris is going to be happy with a group of five now since we, we, can, we can overlap. We got that bonus pick out of the way, and now we're, we're back into a round number. So I'll read through my five, and then you want to read through yours, and we'll, yep. we'll go from there. Uh, at 12, the Arizona Cardinals, uh, cornerback Andrew Booth, Clemson, who already came off the board at six on Joe's mock. Uh, 13 was Kenyon Green, offensive lineman, interior offensive lineman, Texas A&M, to the Pittsburgh Steelers, who came off Joe's mock at 11 to the Giants. Uh, at 14, quarterback Sam Howell to the Washington football team, or the Washington to be determines, right, because they've announced <laughs> that they're not keeping the football team, and we'll know by the draft next year what that's going to be. Uh, who came off Joe's mock in the top 10. Uh, 15, New Orleans. I gave cornerback Kair Elam from Florida. And at 16, this is my favorite pick. It was a little bit off the wall, though. Indianapolis, I had them taking Northwestern safety Brandon Joseph with the 16th pick. Mm, mm. All right, I had number 12, the Washington football team, quarterback Matt Carell, Ole Miss. The Steelers, offensive tackle Darian Kennard out of Kentucky. 14, the Cardinals cornerback Trent McDuffie, Washington. The New Orleans Saints, this was maybe my favorite pick of my mock draft. Wide receiver Chris Olave, Ohio State. And then at 16, I have the Eagles in this spot. Uh, this is courtesy of the Dolphins. Edge, George Karloftis from Purdue. Mm. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about Karloftis there to Philadelphia. And I, I think he makes a lot of sense for being the kind of rusher that Philadelphia has gone after in the past. And, you know, obviously some, some investment on the defensive side of the football for you uh, with their two picks of, of Booth and him. So what did you like the most about that fit specifically? Well, I think you mentioned it already, like stylistically, he's the type of edge that we've seen, Howie Roseman go after for Philadelphia. And we know that this is a position that they value. They care a lot about edge. Yep. And yep. then you kind of look at their contracts. And after this season, Josh Sweat, Derek Barnett, and Ryan Kerrigan, they're all up. And then Brandon Graham is up after next season, and he's already like 33 years old. Right. So they've they've got to replenish this a little bit and find their next mix of guys that they're comfortable with moving forward. So the need, the style the emphasis that they've placed on edge. That's what led me to Carl Loftus for Philadelphia at 16. I'm going to do a little spoiler alert uh, for tomorrow's show, Joe, but I had the Eagles at 19 courtesy of the Miami pick, and I also gave them Carl Loftus. So uh, I, I saw it very similarly to you, but uh, uh, another selling point here is that three of the top four edge defenders in Philadelphia are all in contract years coming into the 2021 season. And Brandon Graham is a free agent in 2022. So after the 2022 season. So uh, never mind the fact that the the model is here, but you also have the potential for a large exodus of players 
when it's all said and done. Kyle, let's talk about Washington. Um, Couple of you quarterbacks. Have, quarterbacks. Yeah, you have them at 14 taking Sam Howell. I have them at 12 taking Matt Corral. So two things come to mind. First, there has to be some level of concern about taking a quarterback in this range. You know, like I just don't – I think it's just a bad place to pick quarterbacks. Middle of the first round, you know, they're not quite top 10 caliber players. You know, they slip through the cracks through several needy teams. Mm-hmm. And you just took Dwayne Haskins in this range, right? And we saw how that worked out. Now, Matt Corral, Sam Howell, different human beings. But from that point of view, I would be be a little bit on edge. Now, you picked Sam Howell. I think I have a tweet somewhere that says that, like, early on, that's a that's a match that I like. Washington, Sam Howell, Scott Turner offense. Well, thank you. Shots thank you down the much. field. But I think what helps what would help Sam Howell in that offense is not just the deep stuff, but I think there's enough scheme throws to to kind of keep him comfortable as he yeah. transitions to the league. Yes, so yes. I like that. But that's also why I liked it for Matt Corral because Matt Corral, I think, certainly a little bit different, more creative in the pocket. Um, maybe it's tough to say that he sees the field better. He challenges more of the field than Sam yeah. does. He challenges more of the field. He's more. I think he's a little more creative yeah. as yeah. a player. So I also kind of like how Scott Turner's offense would. I don't want to say like reel them in, but I think kind of give them the structure that they would need to accentuate Pro- what they bring to the table. Protect them, and, and yeah. let's not sleep on the fact that they do have Ryan Fitzpatrick in house, and, and Fitz is is playing some of his best ball of his career, and. We we saw the value of the mentorship that that Ryan Fitzpatrick had in Miami uh, when they made the transition to quarterback. He, he said he went on, I think it was the Ross Tucker football podcast, and literally said, yeah, I gave up all my reps in practice. I, I gave them all to Tua and all to Reed Sinnott, the third-string quarterback, and I just took mental reps. So, you know, having a consummate professional who kind of understands and, you know, he's in-house now, so – He's going to have another opportunity to be a mentor, and he's done it well. And either one of those two quarterbacks, I think, would benefit from that. Do you see a scenario where Fitz comes back to be a bridge for this quarterback? I mean, certainly if they go, if he goes out and makes the playoffs and they have success and all that type of stuff, like, do you see that happening? He loves it, man. He obviously does. I wouldn't. Yeah, and it's not a slam dunk that that happens because I think that's an important distinguishment for you to make, and I'm glad you did because somebody would say, man, he's he'll be out of there. Um, I I would never say never, and I know he wrestled with it a little bit uh, this offseason about coming back and playing, but it was because he he didn't want to move again with the family. Well, now he, now he's established, and if things go reasonably well to very well in Washington, I would not be surprised to see Fitz back. Let me ask you this as we close today. You have the Colts picking Brandon Joseph, which is a player we all really enjoyed this summer. Good yep. football player. Every team yep. should be happy to get him. But I probably hear Colts fans right now saying, so they're going, we got Kari hey, Willis and Julian yeah, Blackman. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. So I so get it. He, here's the floor. Like, talk to us. Yeah. So uh, Brandon Joseph, for what he brings to the table as a coverage option to be able to play all over the field, 
the ball skills that he has. He, he was phenomenal in creating turnovers and, and getting production on the ball. But the other thing that, that was really important for me as I'm overviewing Indianapolis is so much of the league is trying to space you out, but then they're also trying to put you in, in conflict as far as personnel and how to fit the run. And one of the things that's a big push right now is three safety sets. And if you can tell me my three safety set has the versatility that Willis, Blackman, and Brandon Joseph can bring to the table, particularly in a division that has Houston, which it looks like is going to try and run the hell out of the ball. Tennessee, you know, is going to run the hell out of the ball. And then you have Jacksonville, uh, who had James Robinson as a, a power runner there, and they, they brought in Travis Etienne, and uh, they're going to try and run a lot of inside zone and, and run at you as well. Having safeties that can tackle and fill and fit but are not liabilities in coverage is invaluable. So if you put Brandon Joseph, Julian Blackman, Kari Willis on the field in a big nickel set with Darius Leonard at Mike Linebacker, you're going to really struggle to have success passing the ball in the middle of the field, but they're going to be able to counter when you space the field. So I know I knew when I made that pick, I'm like, man, <laughs> Colts fans are probably going to hate this. But from a schematic perspective, from a direction of the league, from understanding your division and positional or, or value uh, from a value proposition, Brandon Joseph is one of the players I love the most in this class right now. And being able to have that kind of personnel flexibility to match the run, counter if teams go empty or they go four wide on you, and have confidence in your safeties that they can do both and have three of them that can do it in, in big nickel sets is really, really valuable. And for me, it's kind of projecting like Ballard. He likes good values in the draft. Uh, he values his defense and, and trying to be aware of the direction of the AFC South. All those things pieced together for a tumble for Brandon Joseph stopping at 16 to the Colts. I like your I like your rationale. If you promise me scheme evolution, I'm here for it. Yeah. Now, I'm sure I'll hear, <laughs> my, my mentions will be aflame all week. Oh, I know. Yeah, you're, I know. You're done. Uh, yep, I w- I, um, I've accepted it. Uh, <laughs> we'll get a chance to explain some more of our picks tomorrow on the show as we are back with another set. We're going through the back half of Joe and I's respective mock drafts to talk about the conflicts that we came into throughout the course of the process of building them, uh, some fits that we liked, some fits that we didn't, some values we liked and did not like. So make sure you come back tomorrow on the show and check it out. Kyle Krabs, Joe Marino, and Chris Schubert. This is the Draft News Podcast. Thanks, as always, for listening. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.